1: Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book Lighthouse Faith. Uh, Mitch Albom is a tremendous storyteller who's sold over 40 million books, including the New York Times bestseller, Tuesdays with Maury. Uh, It's released more than 20 years ago um, and still selling very well. And also The Five People You Meet in Heaven, those are two books you might recognized from him. But now his news book is a novel called The Stranger in the Lifeboat. It's a sort of um, exegesis on the intersection of life and death and tragedy, and it's told through the eyes of 10 survivors of a luxury boat explosion. They're adrift at sea, and then they find a mysterious character in the water who claims to be the Lord. Well, Mitch is also a screenwriter and a pianist and lyricist. He's founded nine charities um, and operates um, the half-faith Haiti organi- um, orphanage in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And he lives with his wife, Janine, in metropolitan Detroit and joins me now. Mitch, thank you so much for joining me.
0: That's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
1: So th- why this book, The Stranger in the Lifeboat? You know, normally I don't do novels, but it's, this is a larger topic you were you were part of and it's not yeah. just about this novel but about your whole kind of understanding of you know where life and death intersect.
0: Yeah, it is a novel but it's really born from real life experience. So as you mentioned, I operate an orphanage in Haiti, my wife and I and we're there every month have been for the last 12 years. We adopted a child From there, a few years back when she developed a brain tumor, she was five years old, a little girl named Chica, and we went through quite an experience with her a couple of years here in the States. I ended up writing a book about it. Um, She lived a lot longer than the doctors told us that she would. But when she died, uh, I was very angry at the world, at God and everything, thinking that, well, there's what kind of benevolent force can there be in the universe that isn't benevolent to Mm -hmm. a seven-year-old girl? And it took me a few years uh, to start to see that the way I was looking at it was perhaps a little skewed, that I kept thinking about what I had lost instead of looking at what I had been given. So The Stranger in the Lifeboat ended up coming out of that sort of mentality about how people ask for help sometimes, divine help, you know, when they're really in trouble. And when it doesn't come in five minutes they kind of figure, well, that prayer is not being answered because, you know, we want our help the way we want like a deli sandwich. We want it to look like <laughs> what we expect and taste right. like what we expect. And if it isn't, it's like, well, that's not the help we need. And yet there are so many times in life when people say, well, you know, at the time it was the worst thing that could have happened to me. But now that I look back on it, if that hadn't happened, this wouldn't have happened and I wouldn't have met this right. person. This one. So I guess it was kind of the best thing that could have happened. Well, My feeling is if it's the best thing that could have happened 10 years from now, it is the best thing that could happen now. It's just we don't see it that way. All of which led to this premise for this book about these 10 people who survived this uh, yacht explosion uh, and they're in a life raft together for three days. Nobody's coming for them. They're crying out for help. There's no food. There's no water. There's sharks, everything you can imagine. And suddenly they see this body floating in the water. And they pull it into the boat, and it's this young guy, nondescript, very average-looking guy, and they pepper him with questions, and he doesn't say anything. And finally, one of the passengers says, well, thank the Lord we found you. And he says, I am the Lord. Mm. And that begins this parable, essentially, of what do you do when you're crying out for help, and then something comes along that claims to be the help, but you don't believe it because Mm -hmm. it's not in the form that you expected it. And that's happened to me many times in my life. And that's what happens to these characters in the lifeboat. It's very
1: much like life itself. And one of the things that you talk about um, in these, you really kind of, you're talking about exploring the questions of who is God and is God present in tragedy? Does my life matter? Is there an afterlife? You know, can God use anyone for his own, for his purpose? And, um, uh, you know, you leave it to the readers to come up with their their own answers. Is that is that what I'm understanding, yep. or do you actually you know try to you know insert some kind of theological insight? No,
0: uh, I think the best books about faith are the ones that leave enough wiggle room for the reader to either go along with a certain premise or kind of invent their own or sort of think, no, I I think it happened this way. And I've had a lot of readers of The Strangers in the Lightboat who have compared their notes and they're not the same. Mm -hmm. You know, one says, no, I think this happened. The other one says, no, 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 this happened. And that's good because I think faith requires questioning and requires interpretation uh, to a degree, at least, you know, my, my, my Mm -hmm. take on it. I'm not dogmatic Mm -hmm. about it. And it's not a book that, that has one particular religion, this, this person that they pull out of the water is not Jesus, even though I said, he's a young guy. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people imagine, oh, it's got to be Jesus. But no, it's, in fact, if you read the book, you see there's quite a bit more to it than just what I'm saying. But it is a chance to sort of answer that question. What would you do if you called out for God and God appeared in front of you and said, okay, here I am. Mm-hmm. What, what do you want? And oh, you
1: are you helping readers in the sense of you know it, because i see two kind of, well i see one danger in in a world today that people are already trying to make up their own version of god and um, you know to, to just try to figure out a god that they can live with and it, 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 i mean there's isn't there a danger in that
0: well yeah except that would that would be true if this god said i'm god whatever you want i'll do uh, that's a genie, that's not God, Right. Uh, uh, that's not who this character is, this mm-hmm. character is quite the opposite, uh, they're not always happy with the responses that he gives, and they're not always happy with the action, uh, there's there's a moment where they start crying, you know, they're, they're thirsty, and they say, you know, come on, we're thirsty, if you're really God, then, then do something, of course they doubted him from the beginning, and they say, right. he, he's just some guy who banged his head. Uh, and if you're God, what are you doing here? And he says things like, well, aren't, haven't you been calling me? You've been calling me. So I came, but he asks for food. He asks for water. Uh, he sleeps a lot. So he doesn't behave like, you know, what they think a God would. And so they don't really believe he is who he says he is until things start getting dire and they're, they're really thirsty and they haven't had any water in a long time. And so they say, you know, we're thirsty, do something for us. And instead he goes to sleep. And then uh, they roll their eyes and say, well, see, that proves that he's he's useless. And then a couple minutes later, it starts to rain mm-hmm. and they they pull out these cups and everything they can to try to save the rain. And one character gets this box and it starts to fill up with the water. It's this heavy rainstorm and he trips and it, and it, and it spills and all the water spills out. And then the rainstorm stops. Mm. And then they look at him and he's awake now. And they say, keep it going. And he goes, oh, wait, you you think I did that? <laughs> you know, and and they say, well, whether you did or not, keep, keep it going. And he, he he says, no, and and they're frustrated by that. And and that was partly because that's the way the world really works. We don't get God as a personal servant or a butler. God works in God's ways, and so I I tried to have moments where it's not all. Well, if you're God. You know, part the sea. If you're God, make, make manna come from heaven. That's not what this is. So yes, I agree with you. There's a danger if we try to retrofit God to our particular needs and say, I only want a God who's going to help me really do well in my career, but I don't want a God mm-hmm. who's going to demand anything from me otherwise, or that or wants me to do charity for the poor, or wants me to be kind to people. I just want the one that's going to help me. Uh, this is not that character. In fact, it's quite the opposite.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, and I'll also understand that, um, you know, every life is unique. So everyone's, you know, dealing with death is unique. And so the questions you were asking about, you know, has God a present tragedy and, and does my life matter? You know, they're going to have some similar answers, but not exact replicas because everybody is unique. But the other issue um, for, you know, this answering these issues is that the first answer that has to be the first question that has to be asked and answered by the person individual is um first of all is there an objective standard that exists outside of me you know it, it, is it is there something that i have to mold my life to rather than you know the world molding its life molding itself to me and it, it seems to me um you know do you kind of present that in this, in this book, this idea about there is a standard that exists outside of you? There is a hard facts that exists outside of you. And I think that answer is death. These, this, this is what you've, you know, you have created this sort of um, I- I exploring how people need to understand and live with death and not try to avoid it. I mean, this is a theme that seems yeah. to run through your, your, your writings. Am yeah. I right or wrong?
0: Well, uh, I think you're mostly right. I mean, if you go back to Tuesdays with Maury, the book that I wrote, that probably most people became aware of of me through, that's certainly a book about dying. Uh, and yeah. uh, although I've always maintained it's more a book about living than it is a book about dying, and so did Maury. Maury believed that you know once you learn how to die, you learn how to live, and that death ends lives, but not relationships. But those relationships need to be worked on while you're here in order for them to go on. And, All kinds of things that you learn about what's really important in life once you know you're going to die, as he did. You know, he was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease. And in this case, in Stranger in the Lifeboat, as I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, I had to come to a certain understanding of death relative to other people. Not my death, not my mortality, but Mm -hmm. what it meant to lose other people. And there's a moment in the book towards the end where one of the characters who who you know is begrudgingly sort of saying well this guy is clearly not normal uh and he's been mourning his wife who died and he breaks down crying and he says why did you take my wife if you're god Mm -hmm. you know why Mm -hmm. do people have to die why did you take my wife and the answer that comes is why is it that when someone dies on earth people always say why did god take them maybe a better question would be why did god give them to us mm. what did we do to deserve their love their attention the sweet memories mm. we had didn't you have that with your wife yeah and he says yes i had it every day and the god character says well those moments are a gift but their absence is not a punishment i'm not cruel I, I know you before you're born. I know you after after you're gone. This, mm-hmm. this is just part of the story. And he concludes by saying, I know that when your loved ones die here on earth, you cry. But I can assure you, they're not crying. And for me, yeah. you know, I wrote that to deal with the death of our little girl. And yeah. I wrote that page more for me than anybody else. That, you know, why... Instead of thinking, well, why did we have this little girl for only two years, um, and then she died at seven, I realized that my wife and I, when we got married, we got married kind of late in life. We wanted to have kids. We prayed for it. didn't happen. We thought, Mm -hmm. well, there's a prayer that's not being answered. And then 15 years later, we end up taking over this orphanage and have 50-plus kids in our lives. (laughs) And a few years later after that, we have this one particular five-year-old who comes up and is sleeping at the foot of our bed. And we get to go through in our mid fifties, all that amazing, delightful, memorable uh, moments that you have when a child is suddenly in your life and they're waking you up for breakfast and they're giggling and they're you know uh, putting their hand over your mouth when you're trying to sing with them and all these little things like that. <laughs> and and, and we, we had all that in our fifties, who gets that yeah. in their fifties. And we had that for two amazing years. So instead of thinking of it as, you know, what was taken, I realized what was given. And, and a lot of that is how you come to accept God and and loss, because God, loss and, and, and gain and gift and, and take away are all part of, in my view, anyhow, the divine picture. Yeah. And you have to figure out Who's doing the giving? Who's doing the taking? What's the yeah. rationale behind each direction? And that was, that's a lot of what The Stranger in the Lifeboat really is about. Yeah,
1: um, I want to take a break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We'll be right back with uh, Mitch Album talking about The Stranger in the Lifeboat and Finding Chica.
0: Families have a lot going on.
1: Okay, we are back at Lighthouse Faith Podcast, talking with the incredible author and storyteller Mitch Album, and and Mitch, your latest book is "The Stranger in the Lifeboat," and but before that is "Finding Cheek, And before the break, we're talking about um, this very personal story for you because um, it it puts you in sort of this facing death again. And one of the questions I have is that you know what did chica's death teach you that the you know the tuesdays with maury and his and maury's death what did that that, that it did not teach you what did you well, learn yeah. with chica's death
0: it's a good question a really good question that not too many people have uh, asked me and i've thought about immensely um maury's death and witnessing maury's death and you're right to point out lauren that there there are similarities in fact it's it's, they're almost ironic similarities Mm -hmm. they were like about 25 years apart and the first time i was a young man sitting with an old man who was dying in front of me and the second time i was the older man sitting with a child who was dying in front of me Uh, more prolonged in chica's case it, it took two years in maury's case you know it was about seven or eight months what i learned the first time around was the wisdom that can we can take into our, uh, to our death if we've been able to lead life a certain way as Maury did. Mm-hmm. He always led it with people. He always made people a priority. He didn't make things or career his priority. And consequently, when faced with death, he didn't have that big transition that so many people have to go through about Oh, I have so many regrets. I didn't do this, and I never now now I want to spend time with my family. Now I want to spend time with my kids, but they, you know, they they don't want to spend time with me. He didn't have that. He 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 became a better version of who he had already been. He became like, as he likened it, the leaf that was dying on the tree that becomes brilliant in its final moments. You know, the best colors a leaf ever is, is is just before it dies. And Maury was kind of like that. And, mm-hmm. and and so he gave me this great perspective about how to try to lead your life so that when you get to the end, whenever that end may come, you're not full of regret. You have yeah. that bird on your shoulder every day that you ask, is today the day I'm going to die? Is today the day I'm going to die? And, of course, every day of your life except one, it says no. But the day it says yes, are you prepared? That was that experience with Maury, and he gave me all these lessons about family and forgiveness and, and, and faith and money and culture and everything that, that were able to be like a blueprint mm-hmm. for a, a meaningful life before we die. In Chica's case, it was so much more about understanding loss yeah. and understanding, as I sort of gave you a hint of before, you know, what is a gift in life? And understanding that we had Chica for seven years and felt robbed until we realized and met other families who had children who also died from DIPG, which is a, the brain tumor that Chica died from, who only had their child for five years or mm-hmm. three years. Uh, and then in Haiti, people who had kids who they just couldn't feed And they got sick and they died in one year, you know, or eight days or things like that. Mm -hmm. So Chica's, the Chica thing was so much more about putting loss in its proper perspective. With Maury, because I was 37 and he was 78, you felt like it was the natural order of life. Right. This is the
1: way death is supposed to be. You're supposed to live this long life. Correct. Um, And then when you're gone, it's like, you know, you can look back and said, you know, well done. Right. I'm ready for the next phase. Right.
0: And when you're young and looking at the person who's dying, it doesn't feel out of place. You're saddened. You don't. Nobody wants to lose their grandparents. But we don't we don't go crying. That's not fair. You know, when they when when a 90 year old grandparent dies, we're we're crying. We're missing them. But we don't have the right anyhow to say it's not fair. How could you take them at 90? Right. 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 when When a child dies, that's your first instinct. And so with Chica, it was all about how, coming to grips with the fairness of the world and and um, inexplicable loss that needs to be explained. That was the real difference.
1: Um, one of the things that is very apparent about us today is that we do have this incredible fear of dying. And, you know, the Christian faith teaches that, you know, there is, you know, no death. Um, you know, there, there really is. It's just kind of the next the next phase of life and that souls do go on and live forever. Um, But the idea though, you know, psychologists and, and um, you know, counselors have talked about this fear of dying that we all have and that it's motivation for sort of these sort of self salvation projects, you know, like I'll live forever if I can just, you know, have the, the, you know, I can win an Academy award or be this wonderful actor or actress or, be thinner or be more successful or, you know, I don't know, have eight kids, have the perfect relationship. Um, and then, you know, you talk about this transition when people know they're dying and it's just this, you know, regret still, you know,
0: Yeah. um,
1: um, how, how do you reconcile those two kinds of ideas?
0: Well, that's an interesting question, but I don't believe that you can accomplish your way out of death. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think, and and then either.
1: yet and yet we kind of feel like we can, you know, if I can just do enough, I will have earned some kind of
0: you know, plaque in the
1: star, plaque in the stars of you know the yeah. cosmic reality or whatever, you know, for uh, that that gets me, you know,
0: that, that I li- that I live on after I'm gone. Yeah, I kind I, of I, thing. I, I, I don't know. There's that famous poem about you know the 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 people who die a second death. Uh, there's a I forget who did it, but it's a man walking through the cemetery and he hears voices coming from under the tombstones and they're bemoaning their fate and they're bemoaning, bemoaning that they're going to die a second time. The first time they died was the obvious first time, but the second time is when the last person on earth disappears who remembers them. Mm-hmm. And and suddenly they're forgotten. And so that now their memory doesn't exist. That's a losing battle. You're always going to lose that no matter how many Academy Awards you put in your pocket. Eventually, you will be forgotten. If you I, I assume this is true for you, Lauren, it's true for most people. You know, your parents, you know, your grandparents, and you start getting to your great grandparents. Do you know both their first name, middle name, last name? When you go to your great great grandparents, these are your great great grandparents, right? Right. And you may not know their names, so so it's kind of folly to try to accomplish your way out of death, or 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 hang something on the wall that's going to be so significant that 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 you won't really be gone. Sure, people like to. They like to write books like I do and and Mm -hmm. hope that, okay, Mm -hmm. after you're gone, people might be reading your books. Um, more importantly, I think people have children and their children's children, and they'll know that their, that their generations will go on. But even after you've done that, um, your great grandchildren may not have any kids and, and they, that may be the end of your line or your lineage. So I don't put a lot of personally significance in, in that. I think, A life well lived here on earth by touching other people is how you go on. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Maury, in the final visit that I had with Maury, I I tell this story sometimes that the last thing that he said to me, the last real piece of conversation was that he wanted me to come visit him at his grave. Mm -hmm. And I said, "Okay, you know, I was going to do that anyhow. And he said, well, not the way everybody else comes. You know, at this Mm -hmm. point, he could barely speak anymore it was the last Tuesday that we had together he said not the way everybody else comes don't drive your car get out leave the engine running (laughs) put down some flowers and go back in come when you have some time bring a blanket bring some sandwiches Wow. and I want you to talk to me about life about what you're doing, about the Red Sox. And I said, wait a minute. You want me to come to a cemetery, have a picnic at your tombstone, Mm -hmm. and talk to the air? And he said, exactly, just like we're talking now. And I said, well, Maury, it's not going to be like we're talking now because, let's face it, you're not going to be able to talk back. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me as if I were being very naive, and he said, well, Mitch, I'll make you a deal after I'm dead you talk, I'll listen. (laughs) And, you know, I laughed like you just did, but he died a couple days later. And Mm. when I wrote Tuesdays with Maury, you know, and I sat and listened to all these tape conversations we had, that line always stuck with me. And I I felt that he didn't, it wasn't an accident that he waited till the end to share that with me, because in Mm -hmm. that line, to me is everything that he was trying to teach me about life and death. And that is that if you make your life with people and giving to people, sharing of yourself with people, you know, getting involved in their lives, helping them, then when you're dead, you're not a hundred percent dead. You live on inside the heads and the hearts of everybody that you touched and they can talk to you, not because they believe in ghosts or seances, but they hear your voice rattling around inside them you know it's like a penny in a piggy bank i always say if you put a penny in a piggy bank for all intents and purposes it's gone you never see it again it's it might as well be dead you can't you can't get you can't touch it you can't see it you can't look at it you can't spend it but if you pick the piggy bank up and you shake it there it is and yeah. it's the same thing as the voices that we put inside one another By spending time with one another, by making memories, not by working, not by winning an Academy Award, but by really being in each other's lives, that's how you achieve your little degree of immortality. That's how you go on. And I think that that was a beautiful lesson that Maury taught, and it's the reason that people still talk about Maury today and that book, which I wrote strictly to pay his medical bills. That was the only reason I wrote it. It wasn't supposed to be some kind of big book. I mean, we, mm-hmm. I was begging publishers. Most of them told me no, and it's depressing and not interested, and they kept kicking me out of their offices, and I just needed to help pay his medical bills. And the money that they gave us finally when I found a publisher, I just gave to him to pay his bills, and it was supposed to be a labor of love. And look at what happened with it. You wow. know, people started yeah. reading it and passing it around, and now it's taught all over the world. And Maury's Morey, words are resonating with people who never had a chance to meet him all because he took time to give of himself to a wayward student, uh, in his, in his final days. So we never know the ripples that in the pond that we create when we throw a pebble in. And that to me is how you live on.
1: You know, there, obviously, there was a great deal of wisdom um, that Maury shared with you, and you also talk though about Chica's wisdom, and I found that very fascinating. Here she was seven years old, and you want to like, what kind of wisdom does a seven-year-old give you? No. And does she know she's giving it to you, or does she is she some kind of you know sort of spiritual force? You know, what I mean? well, and in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the context of. Of wisdom. She yeah. just
0: gets I it. don't know that she, I doubt that she knew that she was giving it to us in the traditional sense like, mm-hmm. let me let me educate these two. I, I don't think <laughs> it was like that. I think it was quite the opposite is that from the mouths of babes type of thing. Um, yeah. The best one that I can share with you is that um, we were, towards the end of her life, she couldn't walk anymore and so I had to carry her as part of the debilitation of brain tumor she was fine with my carrying her because i just became her personal taxi you know like she had to, go <laughs> to the bathroom she had to go to the car we had to go outside just picked her up and carried her and one day we were sitting at the table coloring and i i looked at my watch i realized i was late for this radio show so i popped up i said chica i gotta go and she said no mr mitch stay here and color with me i said chica i have to work and she said Mr. Mitch, I have to play. And I said, well, okay, but it's not the same thing because this is my job. And she crossed her arms and she made that pouty face that she would often make. And she said, mm-hmm. no, it isn't. Your job is carrying me. You know, <laughs> and uh, of course, after I laughed, you know, I realized, wow, I am probably never going to hear a truer sentence than that. Of course, my job was to carry her. And, you know, here I was thinking, you know, I had this other things that I had to do. And our, all of our jobs is to carry our children and through sickness, through health, whatever. And if you are blessed, as I have been, to have the means, then it is your job to carry the children of the world, you know, the sick yeah. children, the the forgotten children, the kids who, the 55 kids who are in our orphanage right now. And, and uh, you know, she didn't mean to educate me with that moment, but... I've never forgotten it. And, you know, when I think about what my what I'm supposed to be doing, I always come back to Chica, you know, with her arms crossed saying, your job is carrying me. And and uh, it's that kind of wisdom times, you know, writ large and 100 different incidents that were like that, that are the kind of wisdom you get from a a seven year old who's dying uh, as opposed to a 78 year old.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you're exactly right. It's out of the mouths of babes, and I do believe that God has blessed uh, children and um, animals in, <laughs> with that sort of uh, sixth sense of what's really important in yeah. life. Um, Mitch, I want to thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. And the, and the, the book, um, the two books we're talking about, first is Finding Chica, um, and this is really a very personal story. Um, it's Finding Chica, A Little Girl, An Earthquake, and the Making of a Family. Uh, very heartfelt. I did, I had, to, I weeped very early in in the book. And then um, The Stranger in the Lifeboat. Uh, and I'm certain that a lot of people will, you know, have questions about their own ideas about who God is uh, or isn't. and um, And they will be exploring that in your book. And I want to thank you so much for being here.
0: Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having uh, such a nice conversation with me. I appreciate it. It's
1: my pleasure. It's my pleasure. And thank you all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day.
0: Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at com.